Would you take your Bible and open with me, please, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, just as you're turning there, let me put a couple of important things in front of you one more time by way of reminder. First, as you heard in our announcements just a little bit earlier, our Christmas Eve services are coming up in a few weeks, and we're having three services on Christmas Eve beginning at 3 o'clock, 4.30, and 6 o'clock, and we would love for you and your family to join us uh, for one of those services, and I uh, just want to keep in front of you as well as we head into this season that um, the unsaved people in our lives, uh, for reasons that only God himself knows, um, are more open at this time of the year, perhaps, than any other time of the year to receiving and accepting an invitation to come to church. And so uh, I'm praying that the Spirit of God would fill us with boldness and courage and with a supernatural love for the unsaved people within our lives, that we would uh, go to them and share the gospel with them and invite them to come to church and uh, join us on Christmas Eve. So just want to keep that in front of you, uh, 3 o'clock, 4.30, and 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Uh, the second thing for you to know, uh, men particularly, keep in mind that registration for Free Indeed uh, is still open, and Free Indeed, of course, is the men's conference that uh, we as a church have uh, plugged into for a number of years now. We're pretty excited, actually, that for the very first time this year, we get to be a satellite campus uh, for this conference. Um, so we're asking uh, two, two main things. We're doing this for two main reasons. The first reason is because it makes more room at the main site in Oakville uh, for a lot of guys to come who may not have any other option except to go to the Oakville uh, campus for this conference. And so uh, by us coming here, that opens up more room for them there. And uh, we very much want to do that because of the ways that we've seen God use this conference over the past number of years. And the second thing, a second reason why we're doing it is because it opens a door for, uh, for us here, uh, for more men in our circles of influence to here, to come and to benefit from what God is doing through this conference. I heard another story just this past week of a guy's life radically changed by the conference just last year. And so uh, we want to make as much room as possible for guys to come and, and to come here. And so we're encouraging all men from our church to come to this conference on February 1st and 2nd of the new year and uh, to come here particularly to our satellite campus and for the reasons that I just mentioned. So if you don't have your tickets yet, I would encourage you to do that today. Don't do it right now, uh, but do it later when you go home and you have a chance. Uh, go and get your tickets. Also, ladies, this is a great Christmas gift idea for the guys in your life who need to be encouraged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're into like $45 stocking stuffers, this is great. It's a great idea. And so I would really encourage you towards that. Uh, you can go to our website and find out more information. Go to freeindeed.ca and uh, see more about that as well. Also, one last thing. Ladies, uh, for you as well, keep in mind the Behold Women's Conference that you saw in the announcements as well. That's coming up at the end of January, and uh, more information going to be rolling out about that conference as well. And guys, another great Christmas gift idea for the ladies in your life who need to be encouraged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we saw God use that conference last year in pretty powerful ways for a lot of women in our church, and we're expecting the Lord to do the same thing again this coming year. So keep all of that in mind over the next few weeks. That would be great. All right, Philippians chapter 2 in our Bibles. Uh, follow along with me as I read, beginning at verse 5 and down through to verse 11. Philippians 2, starting at verse 5. The Apostle Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. Like, this is an amazing passage. Last winter, Stacy and I had the opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon. I think I've uh, told you a little bit about that, shown you some pictures of the trip that we took there. And um, it was our first time there, and to say that we were overwhelmed would be like the understatement of the year. Um, it was absolutely amazing. When we got to the park, we hopped on one of the shuttle buses that shuttles you around the park and takes you to different lookout places. And, and once you get to those places, you can get off the bus, walk around a little bit, and take some pictures. And so we got, uh, we got there. We took a whole bunch of pictures when we were at the Grand Canyon. We got home, and for whatever reason, we lost a whole bunch of the pictures. And, and so this picture that you see up here is not one that we took, but when we got... Just being straight up with you, all right? So... <laughs> When, when we got to this particular lookout point, we, we were in this, this lookout center, and, and we had a view very similar to what you see up here, and it was absolutely breathtaking. Like, the picture by itself just doesn't do it justice. And so we're standing up there, and we're in this lookout center, and I'm face up against the glass, looking out at this view, and just completely overwhelmed. And, and like, tears are filling my eyes, and, and in that moment, I pull out my phone and open up the Bible on my phone, and I start reading Isaiah 40 where God says that he is the one who weighs the mountains and the scales and the hills in a balance. And in the meantime, I'm looking out at something like this, and, and it's just absolutely overwhelming. And you just can't believe the majesty. Like, you look at that, and you think, God did that. Like, isn't that amazing? Like, he just spoke the word, and boom, there it is. Like, how amazing is our God? And so you go on and you read through Isaiah 40, and it talks all about the greatness of who God is and how amazing he really is. And I mention all of that because this passage that we just read in Philippians 2 is like the Grand Canyon of the New Testament. Like if, if the Bible were a mountain range, Philippians 2 would be one of the highest points, maybe the peak of that entire mountain range in all of the New Testament because what we see packed into these few verses in Philippians 2 is what we call the humiliation of Jesus Christ, meaning the humbling of Jesus Christ, but we also see the exaltation of Jesus Christ. So the humiliation of Jesus Christ, but also the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Essentially, what we see in Philippians 2 is the greatness of our God. So Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi to encourage them to persevere in working out their relationship with Jesus Christ, to persevere in their faith within their lives. And though this is a fairly healthy church, there was one obvious conflict between two women in the church that Paul would address later on in chapter 4. And so in light of that, and in light of their relationships with one another within the family of God, he calls them now to pursue a life of humility. Notice what he says in chapter 2 and verse 3. Right before the passage we just read, verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So he's encouraging them towards this life of humility. 
But isn't it true that you don't have to live your life very long to realize that the life of humility is not a life that we naturally go after, right? Like we want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, and we want it before anybody else happens to get it. And there are times, by God's grace, where we do see humility within our lives, but that's the problem with humility, right? It's not like you can go to somebody and say, wow, did you just see how humble I was? Like, somebody should write that down. Time for a humility selfie, right? Like, you just can't do that. And left to ourselves, more often than not, we are going to creep away from humility instead of running towards it. We're going to creep away from a life of putting the interests of other people ahead of our own, and, and we're not going to do that. We're not going to run towards a life of humility, which I believe is why we need to pay very careful attention to what God says in this passage and realize that humility is the way of the Christian life because humility is the way of Jesus Christ. Humility is the way of the Christian life because humility is the way of Jesus Christ. And there's two simple ways that this plays out within our lives. Both of them here, notice in this passage, begin with a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to see that right from the start. In fact, I would suggest to you that if we are not humble in our relationships with one another, it's probably because we are not humble in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we are not humble in our relationship with Jesus Christ, then we will not be humble in our relationships with one another. And so Paul makes it really clear why the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus Christ needs to set the pattern for our lives. It needs to set the pattern for the way that you and I live our lives with each other. And Paul says it happens here in two simple ways. So we're just going to focus on these two ways that we see right here in this passage in Philippians 2. Notice this, first of all, number one, the humiliation of Christ. Imitate him because of what he has done. Imitate him because of what he has done. Now, notice what the Bible is saying here right from the start of verse 5, that the only way to live the life of humility is by following the example of Jesus Christ. That's why he says, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves. In other words, all that he's talked about in verses 1 through 4, the life of humility, he says, have this mind, have that mind among yourselves. Like this is the way that you should be thinking about how to live your life. But again, the problem is that we know the pull of our hearts, right? We know that we're selfish. We know that we want to do our own thing and go our own way, which is why he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus. So notice this, this mind, this way of thinking, this way of living, he says, is yours. It is yours. This way of thinking already belongs to you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Why? Because your life has been changed by Christ, and the life changed by Christ is the life lived for Christ. This mindset, this way of thinking and living, he says, is yours and it is ours in Christ Jesus. In other words, because of your relationship with Christ Jesus, because of my relationship with Christ Jesus, because we are in Christ, 
Because we have been made new creations in Christ Jesus. The old has gone. The new has come. What he's essentially saying here is that because we are in Christ Jesus, we now are to imitate that way of living within our lives. And so he says, have this mind among yourselves. Have this way of life among yourselves. And the way that you do that, he says, is by imitating the example of Christ himself. Remember when you were a kid and all those times that you used to imitate the people that you look up to? How much fun that was? Like, I remember days upon days upon weeks upon years as a kid playing hockey in my driveway thinking I was the next Wayne Gretzky. And it's a lot easier when there's no goalie in the net, by the way. And, but it was so much fun. And then, and then when our kids were younger, particularly with our boys, they would I remember they would come pounding down the stairs into the living room and in the middle of the week, like for whatever reason, they'd be dressed up in their three-piece suit and they'd have a Bible in one hand and waving the other hand in the air and they're like, hey dad, look at me, I'm a preacher. And, and it, was, it was pretty cool. And then, and then they'd be like, hey dad, look at me, I have no hair, I'm you. And, and I'm like, oh, it's so funny. Just kidding. Kind of. Not really. But, but notice here, Paul is saying that, that Jesus is calling us to this life of humility before him and before one another. And the only way that, that we can actually live a life of humility as believers in Jesus Christ is not just by imitating Jesus, but by letting the life of Jesus, which he says here, is already ours. He says, letting that life of Jesus be lived through us. So what is it exactly about the humility of Jesus that we should imitate? Well, I want you to notice three things. You can see them right here in this passage. First of all, imitate his radical selflessness. Imitate his radical selflessness. Notice verse 6. It says, who through, or sorry, who though he was in the form of God, speaking here of Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, we are deep diving into God's word this morning. All right, this is some heavy lifting here in this passage in terms of theology and what Christ has done for us. But, loved ones, I cannot stress enough how massively important this is because we're talking here about the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. And when you think about it, that sets the table for the rest of your life. Like for you to really understand who you are, for you to really understand why God has put you on this earth and why he's put you on this particular part of the earth at this particular time, like for you to understand those things, you need to understand who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you because this one thing is what leads us then to a life of meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And so I just want to encourage you right now as we dive in, just hang with me, okay? We're going to do some deep diving, some, some serious swimming through these passages here this morning. So just press into God's word with his word open in front of you right now. Let's just press into this and see what God has for us. So notice again, verse six, he says, who though he was in the form of God. Now there's two words in the original language that Paul could have used to describe the form of something. But Paul chooses the one that describes the unchanging nature of something. In other words, he's talking about the inward essence of a person. 
And so the Bible is saying here that Jesus Christ is fully God. He is the form of God. The very foundational essence of Jesus is that he is God. And he has existed eternally as God. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. Can you show me another verse in the Bible that actually says that? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's a great question. John chapter 1, verse 1. Check this out. John here is speaking about Jesus Christ. And he says, in the beginning was the Word. So the references here to the Word are referring to the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So Jesus Christ has existed eternally as fully God. And in humility, he left heaven to come and save us. And can I just remind you, is that not the glorious message of Christmas? Like, isn't that the good news of what Jesus has done for us? Like, like just consider this. Jesus did not, quote unquote, begin at Bethlehem. Like, he has existed eternally as God. His earthly life began at Bethlehem. Like, he's born in a manger, in a stable to Mary and Joseph. His earthly life begins there. But prior to that, he has existed eternally as God. Like, it's so important for us to start with that because for us to really appreciate who Jesus Christ is for us right now, we need to see what he has left behind. We need to see what he has given up in order to show his love for us. And it starts with the fact that Jesus was in the form of God. Notice the next part of verse 6. He says, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So notice here the radical selflessness of Jesus. He has equality, full equality with God. Equal in every way, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is fully God. He has created the universe. He sustains the universe by the word of his power. The entire universe is by him, through him, to him, and for him. Like he controls everything within the universe. He is sovereign over all of it, sovereign over every part of your life and my life and everything that goes on in this world. He controls everything. And yet at some point, before time began, Jesus willfully chose to not grasp onto his divinity. In other words, he chose to not use his divinity to his own advantage or for his own protection. Instead, at some point before time began, it's almost like Jesus said, I'll go. I'll go for them. Like, like I'll go for everybody sitting in this section right here. And I'll go for everybody sitting in this section right here. I'll, I'll go. Like, I'll go for the ones that the Father has chosen from before the foundation of the world to be saved. I will go for them. It's almost like Jesus saying, I will go and I will not use my divinity to protect me from having to go. It's almost like Jesus says, instead, I will use my divinity as the very reason that I will go for them. And just think about this. The reality that Jesus Christ is fully God 
and perfect in every way is exactly what qualifies him to be the one who does go to save us from our sins. And he did exactly that. Doesn't that just fill your heart with gratitude? Fill your heart with thankfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done for us. Doesn't that just cause you to see how precious our salvation really is that Jesus Christ would do this for us? I mean, this is the message of Christmas, the radical selflessness of Jesus Christ. And notice what the Bible is saying here. It's saying, have this mind among yourselves. Like, have this way of life. Imitate this way of life with one another. Radical selflessness. Then notice this next. Second thing. Imitate his radical service. Verse 7 carries on this thought. Paul says, but, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Some have taken the first part of verse 7 here to mean that Jesus gave up some of his divine attributes, maybe even all of his divine attributes in order to become human. It's what's commonly referred to as the kenosis theory. Uh, That word kenosis coming from the Greek word meaning to empty himself. And uh, that is a theory that we wholeheartedly reject. Jesus did not uh, stop being God in order to become man. That's not what happened. And so we reject that theory. So if it doesn't mean that, then what does it mean? And and part of the challenge here is that it can be really tempting for us to come to this phrase in verse 7, and the only question that we ask is, what did Jesus empty himself of? It's an important question, but, but when you take the entirety of this section here in Philippians 2, and especially when you read all of verse 7 together, it seems the better question to ask, as one commentator puts it, is this, what did Jesus empty himself into? What did he empty himself into? Look again at verse 7 says, but emptied himself, and what's the next word in verse 7? By. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so verse 7 is telling us exactly what it means that Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Alistair Begg, pastor and preacher in the United States, says this um, about this verse. This is very helpful. He says, It's what Jesus took to himself that humbled him, not just what he laid aside. It was in taking humanity that he became nothing. So understand that it's not just what Jesus, uh, it's not just that he laid aside the glory that he had in heaven. And it's not just that Jesus laid aside the uninterrupted relationship that he had with God the Father and God the Spirit. It's also that he took up the form of a servant. There's that word form again for the second time. He took up the inward essence of a servant. So it's not just, it's not that, it's not that the person of Jesus changed. Because Jesus has always been fully God. That has never changed. That never will change. Jesus is fully God. So it's not that the person of Jesus has changed, but that the position of Jesus has changed. Okay, He has left his rightful throne in heaven, and he came and he took the form of a servant. It's not that the person of Jesus changed. It's that the position of Jesus changed, and he took the form of a servant. Remember 
when Jesus had his final supper with his disciples, they're in the upper room, last supper, and they're done eating, and Jesus gets up and he picks up a towel and he starts washing all the disciples' feet. And for anybody in that culture at that time to pick up a towel indicated that they were the slave. Like only a slave picks up a towel and only a slave begins to wash the feet of other people. And so now, after they're done eating, Jesus intentionally, purposefully picks up the towel and starts washing everybody else's feet. He gets to Peter and Peter says, no, 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 wait, wait just a second, Lord. There's no way that you should be doing this to me. I should be doing this to you. And Jesus looks back at Peter and says, if I don't do this for you, then you have no part of me. In other words, you can't be associated with me. At which point, Peter looks back at Jesus and says, okay, Jesus, not just my feet, then all of me. Like, wash all of me because I want to be all in with you. Jesus, in that moment, purposefully, intentionally gets up, picks up the towel, and he takes the form of a servant. And what does the Bible say? It says, have this mind among yourselves. Like imitate this way of life in your life, a life of radical service. So imitate Jesus in his radical selflessness and in his radical service, but then see this as well. Number three, imitate his radical obedience. It's radical obedience. Notice verse eight. It says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now remember, there's, we see this word form again here in verse 8, and there's two words that Paul could have used for that word form. He's been using the one word up to this point to describe the inward essence of someone, but now in verse 8, he switches to the other word. And uh, he's describing not so much the inward essence of someone, instead he's describing now the outward appearance of someone. So he says now, that he is found, Jesus is found in human form. In other words, he looked just like us. He's describing the outward appearance of Jesus. Jesus has become just like us so that he could identify with us and what we go through in this life. Being found in human form, he humbled himself. Notice here, God the Father did not humble Jesus. God the Spirit did not humble Jesus. Pilate did not humble Jesus. Caiaphas did not humble Jesus. The Pharisees did not humble Jesus. The Sadducees did not humble Jesus. Who humbled Jesus? Jesus humbled Jesus. Jesus humbled himself. Why? Because he loves us. Like, how great is this? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, just Think about the magnitude of that statement. Jesus humbled himself, knowing that he would have to one day stand before his disciples and say, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He humbled himself, knowing that one day he would stand before his disciples and say, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. He humbles himself, knowing that he would patiently endure the attacks of everyone who hated him that he would be betrayed by one disciple, denied by another disciple, misunderstood by most disciples, knowing that he would be falsely accused, wrongly convicted, mocked, ridiculed, spit upon, despised, forsaken by God, and 
ultimately crucified. Like he knew this. He humbled himself knowing that eventually his earthly life would end with him hanging on a cross, dying the most humiliating and excruciating death that a person at that time and in that culture could possibly experience. And yet at some point before time began, it's almost like Jesus said, I'll go. Like, is this not astonishing? Like, I'll go. I'll go anyway. The Bible says, have this mind among yourselves. Like, imitate this way of life, radical selflessness, radical service, radical obedience for the sake of Jesus Christ. Like, Jesus humbles himself by serving others in love. And I wonder, loved ones, what is it that God is calling you to lay down for the sake of radical selflessness, radical service, radical obedience within your life? Like, are there things within your life right now that you think that you're entitled to? Things that that you think you have a right to hold on to? Things that you're holding on to with such tight, closed fists that there ain't nobody who's going to pry those things out of your hands. Like, what are you holding on to? What is it that God is calling you to lay down before him? Or maybe you're on the other side of that same coin. Is there something within your life that God is telling you to pick back up as a way of imitating Jesus within your life? Think about this for a second. No one will ever rise so high as Jesus Christ before he came to earth. Like when he is in his pre-incarnate glory, meaning before Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven and came to earth as a man, like no one will ever rise so high as to be where Jesus was before he came to earth. And no one will descend so low as Jesus in his crucifixion. No one will ever reach beyond the humility demonstrated by Jesus Christ. And because of that, there's not a single one of us who can rightfully say, I deserve better than this. None of us can say, I deserve more than this. Like none of us can can come back and say, who do you think you are to talk to me like that? Who do you think you are to treat me in that way? And yet, Isn't it true that we live in a world that so frequently and so forcefully challenges us to live exactly that way? It comes after us and we hear it over and over and over again in so many different ways, so many different times, coming after us and telling us that we just need to look after ourselves. You deserve more. You deserve better. Like, take care of yourself. Do your own thing. Just look after number one. Like, just look after yourself in every way that you possibly can. And we see this all over the place. We see this with our relationships, we see it with our finances, we see it with our self-image. I mean, we see it in so many different ways, and yet the Bible is telling us to pursue the life of humility that Jesus lays down before us and says, have this mind among yourselves. Like, imitate this way of life. Imitate this kind of humility, radical selflessness, radical service, radical obedience to God. Imitate Jesus because of what he has done. What makes the gospel such good news is that we don't stop with the humiliation of Christ. Passage brings us now to the second point. You can jot this down. Number two, the exaltation of Christ. Exalt him because of who he is. Exalt him because of who he is. So you'll notice in verse nine that we turn a pretty massive corner And I want you to see here three reasons why we must exalt Jesus Christ. Notice this first in verse 9. It says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him. 
So we exalt him because of who he is. And the first reason we, we do that, we exalt Christ because he is elevated. He is elevated. Verse 9 says, therefore, God. Like when you put those two words together, you know something special is coming right around the corner, right? In other words, since Jesus Christ perfectly demonstrated the infinite love of God the Father by coming into this world to die in our place and for our sins, the Father now is exalting the Son. Like there's actually no other word in the original language for this word exalted in verse 9, but it's such a powerful word. It means to be super exalted. It's like exalted times infinity. Exalted times eternity. What Paul is trying to describe here is that there is absolutely nothing that compares to the way that the Father is exalting the Son right here, and there never will be anything that compares to it. He is super exalted. Take a look at this uh, diagram up on the screen, and I hope this is helpful um, in understanding just a little bit, getting a visual in your mind of, of what has actually taken place in the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And so it starts in the top left corner with the pre-incarnate glory of Jesus Christ, meaning uh, Jesus has eternally existed uh, in glory with the Father and with the Spirit. And, and uh, that's before he came to earth uh, as a human being. And then the incarnation is where he's born in a manger in Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph. And in his earthly life, he lives a perfect, sinless life. And, and then that perfect, sinless life ends with him dying on a cross, dying a humiliating death in our place and for our sins. But then you notice that we go back up the other side and we see here the exaltation of Jesus Christ that Jesus is exalted in his resurrection, that he is exalted in his ascension into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says in that position of power and authority with the Father interceding for us. He's exalted as the soon and coming king who will come in unparalleled power and in unequal glory to rule and reign forever where all glory will be given to him. He is our king of kings. He is our Lord of lords. And so we elevate him because God has already done that. Like this is amazing. This is the exaltation, the super exaltation of Jesus Christ. There's nothing in all the world, nothing in the universe, nothing we could wrap our minds around that compares to what the Father is doing for the Son right now. But then notice this next. Second, we exalt Christ because he is superior. He is superior. The next part of verse 9 says, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Just think. The name of Jesus. So we're coming up to Christmas and Isaiah chapter 9. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'm doing my own Bible reading right now through the Gospel of John. And through the Gospel of John, Jesus is the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the true vine. The name of Jesus. But notice what's happening here in verse 9. God is bestowing on him this name. So the Father is giving a name to Jesus, the Son. And as verse 11 will tell us, that name is Lord. So in the Old Testament, the equivalent of that name Lord is Yahweh. So 
The Father is giving to the Son a name that affirms what is already true about Jesus. Listen uh, to this, Isaiah 45, verse 23. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And he says this, By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. So God is saying here that his name is the only name to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now we get to Philippians 2, and the Father is affirming the divinity of the Son by giving to the Son the ultimate name that has ever been named. And these words from Isaiah 45, 23 lead us right into Philippians 2, verse 10. And the third reason that we must exalt Jesus, we exalt Jesus because he's elevated, because he's superior. And then third, notice this, we exalt Christ because he is worthy. And so Paul takes that last part of Isaiah 45, 23, and he drops it right here into Philippians 2. Notice verse 10. He says, so that at the name of Jesus, here it is, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like, Can you picture this? You just try and think in your mind of, of what that's going to be like. Like, There's coming a day when every knee will bow. Not just some knees. Like All knees are going to bow. And every knee will be bent in submission to the higher authority of Jesus Christ. And notice here, every knee will bow in heaven. In other words, all the angels and all the saints from all all the ages who adore Jesus Christ in that day are going to bow before him. And every knee will bow on earth. In other words, every person who follows Christ, but also every person who does not follow Christ in that day will bow before him. But then notice this, and every knee will bow under the earth. In other words, every single soul that has been eternally sentenced to know only the punishing presence of God in judgment in hell in that day will bow before him. And then verse 11 goes on and says, and every tongue will confess. Like every person will openly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. So think about that. Like there is coming a day when every president and every prime minister and every ruler, every dictator, every king, every queen, every saint, every sinner, every redeemed, every rebel, every rich, every poor, every man, every woman, every angel, every demon, even Satan himself, every single person who has ever lived will bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the redeemed will do this with rejoicing. The rebellious will do this with regret. But make no mistake, everyone will do this. Why? Because Jesus is worthy. And what makes him so worthy of our worship? Verse 11, notice, he is Jesus. That's his given name. It means the Lord saves. But he is Jesus Christ. 
Christ means that he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of every Old Testament prophecy. But he is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And Lord, again, means fully God. He is supreme over all things. That's what makes him worthy of our worship. So let's be really clear here that that when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, that does not mean that everyone who did not receive Jesus Christ in this life will suddenly be saved at the last moment. It's not what this means. What it does mean is that every person will openly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is supreme, that he is God, that there is no one like him, that he is the only way to salvation, and he alone is worthy of all of our praise. In other words, in that day, when that day comes, there is not a single lick of worship that will be withheld from Jesus Christ because he is worthy. He is glorious. So all of this happens, verse 11, to the glory of God the Father. So the singular purpose of the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus Christ is to glorify God the Father. We exalt Jesus because he is elevated, he is superior, he is worthy to be praised. And notice what the Bible says here. It says, have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind. Like, imitate this way of life. Imitate Jesus for what he has done and exalt Jesus for who he is. And understand that that in imitating Jesus in your life, that you are exalting Jesus through your life. Think about this. When, When you love God and you love others, you're not only imitating Jesus in your life, but you're exalting Jesus through your life. So we need to understand that the imitation and the exaltation go hand in hand. They're like hand in glove. That when you put the needs of your husband or your wife ahead of your own, you're not just imitating Jesus in your life, you're exalting Jesus through your life. That when we together as a church, when we love and serve one another without showing partiality, we love and serve one another without showing favorites because that's the way that Christ has loved us. Like when we get to that place where where we humbly and quietly lay down the things that we think that we are entitled to for the sake of serving others in humility and in love. We're not just imitating Jesus in our life. We are exalting Jesus through our life. See, you got to understand that that there's another layer to this element of exalting Jesus as well because, because when you get to the place where you grab a hold of what we have just seen here in Philippians 2, what we just, what's just been described in this passage, I hope Like, I really hope that we can't help but sing the roof off this place. Like, when we truly understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us, as it's been described to us in God's word this morning, like, we're going to sing a song in a minute that's pretty familiar to our church, and it's a song that we love, but because it's familiar, like, we should be able to sing it with everything that we've got. Like, just lay it all down here. And and when you consider that Jesus is elevated and he is superior and he is worthy to be praised, like, now is not the time for you to be concerned about the quality of your singing voice, right? Like, Like, seriously, now is not the moment for you to be worried about whether or not the person sitting beside you can hear you. Don't worry about, like, can I be honest? If I left my mic on by accident while we were singing, I'm sure there's a bunch of you that would never come back. And, and I wouldn't blame you at all. But fortunately, that's not the point. 
right? The greater point is that we need to be spurring one another on toward imitating Jesus in our lives and exalting Jesus through our lives, and not just today, not just here in this moment, but every day, all the time. Like radical selflessness, radical service, radical obedience to God because Jesus is elevated, Jesus is superior, and Jesus is worthy to be praised. And, and what does the Bible say? Have this mind among yourselves. Imitate this way of life. Have this mind among yourselves. Why? Because it is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus.